0: Well, some thank yous really are in order. We've had the most amazing season throughout our Wednesday nights in Lent. And this past Thursday, Maundy Thursday, sold out the lamb stew dinner, had the church packed here for a wonderful presentation of Da Vinci, the Last Supper, that was musical as well as dramatic. Similarly, Good Friday, three-hour worship service, church nearly full for the three hours wonderful season and now this morning so all those who did the work behind the scenes whether it's our technicians our tech guys those who prepared and put flowers in place but especially our musicians who've been front and center in all those worship services I want to say thank you for myself on behalf of our staff, and on behalf of you all. And why don't you say a really big thank you, please. Thank you. Mm. Good. Now we're talking. pent up fervor it was C.S. Lewis who did say amongst all the wise things he said that saying thank you or praising completes the cycle of joy it's one thing to enjoy something and to endure or in any sense want to say thank you but it's not complete until you have So it is with our Lord. He has done such wonderful things for us. How can we not come to him and say thank you? Bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, living Lord Jesus, how miraculous was that morning that as those who went to the tomb to finish off your funeral found you were not there. You were gone. Just your grave clothes left there. You had vacated them. give us that awesome sense that you really are with us here this morning so that the weekend that changed the world forever, we might celebrate as the opportunity for each one of us to be changed forever. So take my lips, Lord Jesus, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus... And set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. You know, for Olympic athletes who win the gold medal, it is a moment in time for which all their lives of athleticism, of training of hard work of the knocks and bruises and failures along the way all for that moment when they rise on the rostrum and receive their gold medal Olympics only once every four years very rarely does an Olympian come back for another opportunity to win a gold medal. The reason I use this illustration is that at the moment they stand there with the gold medal, everything about their lives has been groomed for that moment. Only one person in the world gets to receive the gold medal for whatever event, just one, in the whole world. Now all the other athletes have been preparing in the same way, and there are some other medals, but that gold medal is supreme. When Jesus walked from the grave alive, everything about his coming to earth, the incarnation, his living amongst us for 33 years as one of us, in the last three years, revealing himself making public moves by way of miracles and teaching, so that in three short years he had created such a movement that the authorities determined they had to get rid of him. And so this weekend, beginning with Maundy Thursday, the Last Supper. At that Last Supper, Jesus, John chapter 17, speaking to the Father in prayer, said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son with the glory he had with you before the world began. He knew it was the moment for which His incarnation, His 33 years of living on earth, His miracles and teaching, His gathering of the disciples, and the stirring of the opposition which awaited Him with the cross. Everything about the gospel narrative brings us to this weekend and the time had come and what Jesus said earlier in his ministry that his will was to do the will of the Father that he hadn't come to please himself but to please the Father the statements he made along the way here and there Indicating that his whole life was driven toward a purpose. So that in another instance, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to see it accomplished. Done. Finished. And so Christ from the cross shouted, it is finished. His last great cry. He completed what he came to do and literally paid for in full for the sins of the world that we might be forgiven. And the crowning glory of these moments... And nobody was present visibly to see him shake off the grave clothes and somehow pass out, not through an open door necessarily. The, the stone was rolled back not to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled back from the tomb so that those who came looking might discover he wasn't there. He wasn't any longer bound by the substance of time and space or material things. He could arrive and disappear, but being present all the time. And across the days that followed, did exactly that. So he would suddenly appear in a room with locked doors. And there he was. Well, prior to the moment he became visibly present, he was still there. Only you couldn't see him. But the triumphant completion of his task one, it was in walking from the grave alive. If walk he did. Leaving behind death and the grave and ascending into life, declared that his task indeed was finished and was glorious. And the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of everything else he taught and did. It is the central theological reality and factual truth that Jesus was executed, was buried, was dead, and three days later rose to life again. And outside of that happening, you would not even know that he had been crucified. We take the crucifixion of Jesus for granted because all kinds of people die and thousands died by way of crucifixion in those days. Severest form of capital punishment by the Roman government. Let me ask you. Who else do you know by name was crucified? Some of you immediately thought Peter, who was crucified upside down in Rome. I would venture to say this, had Jesus not risen from the dead, you would not know that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome think. The reason you know that Jesus was crucified is because after he rose from the dead, his inspired followers went out to change the world with the good news that Christ had not only died for our sins, but was alive again to come and indwell us and in his being alive demonstrated the authenticity of his claims to be God to be the savior who died for the sins of the world and to fulfill his own prophecy which he made of himself that he would rise again now in the gospel that you had read for you today you have got Jesus by way of a miracle demonstrating that same power. Lazarus had been dead in the tomb four days. When Jesus said to them to roll back the stone, they said, well, the the stench will be awful. Because his body would already be decomposing. But when Jesus made his way to that tomb, he knew what he was going to do and already had declared to the sister of the dead man that he, Jesus, was the resurrection and the life. And Coincidentally, not quite coincidentally, because we did plan that we're into a series now beginning on this resurrection day Concerning the statements of Jesus whereby he again claimed to be God. I am and via a series of I am's like I am the door by me if you enter him you will be saved. I am the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the light of the world. I am The way, the truth, and the life were just ahead of the Last Supper and the weekend that changed the world. Jesus had gone to that tomb of Lazarus. They had rolled back the stone. He had called him forth, and he came out in his grave clothes in his wrappings unloose him and let him go said Jesus and that miracle itself was part of what wound up the authorities in Jerusalem because now people were going out to a very notable family two miles just outside Jerusalem to see the man who'd been dead and buried for four days And they said, it's hopeless. The whole world is going after him. It just wound them up all the more furiously to get rid of Jesus. But Jesus' declaration ahead of raising Lazarus were these powerful words. Verses 25 and 26 of John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So via the miracle he demonstrated the power and authority over death, but in his own resurrection demonstrated that all he said concerning himself and his mission, who he was, and what he came to do. All that he said was absolutely the truth. The truth, the absolute truth, and nothing but the absolute truth. And the followers of Jesus didn't get it. I mean, he kept saying it, and the closer he got to this weekend, he taught them more successively that he was going to die but would rise again on the third day, and they did not get it. At the Last Supper, he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be as well. But when it all hit, He was so dead. He was beaten within an inch of his life. Some of them saw him crucified. They saw him speared. And they laid him in the tomb. And he was dead. And dead is dead is dead. So when the ladies arrive at the tomb, To finish off a funeral, in effect, Jesus buried in haste to finish off the embalming process. He wasn't there. I want to take you to John's Gospel in chapter 20 and to read the account there. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, And I should say before we go any further, that you know nothing about Mary Magdalene from the scriptures until she turns up at the cross with the other ladies. One other place is she mentioned earlier, Mark chapter 6 verse 2, where she is described as being among a group of women who went around with Jesus and the disciples taking care of of their physical needs and she is described in that reference as the woman from whom Jesus cast out seven demons and she doesn't turn up again until Calvary it's amazing there is no evidence in the scriptures that she was a prostitute which is what became the tradition and I don't know where it came from but that lady who is nameless until the cross, except for one I- illustration or one example, has colleges named after her. Magdalen College, Oxford, spelled Magdalen. How they get to call it Magdalen, maybe that's just Oxford snobbery. We will change how it should be said. I was born and raised in Oxford. I used to call it Magdalene till I got educated and found out you're supposed to call it Magdalene when it's Oxford. Magdalene College, Oxford. That was C.S. Lewis's college. They do have a college by the name of Magdalene spelled the same way in Cambridge. How could this lady have two university colleges in universities of such prestige named after her? Well, you are about to find out. When the disciples went back to their homes, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. This is verse 10 of John 20. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, see whether it was really so. She could not believe her eyes. But what she saw, two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And all Jesus said to her was, Mary. 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 And she turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. When he said her name, She knew who he was, and she knew, he knew her to the depths of her very soul. It wasn't just a name like a label, it was who she was, Mary. There are three instances at the resurrection of Jesus that move us from his transcendence, his magnificence, his glorious resurrection to just a personal, intimate, individual touch. And this is one of them. Mary. She's there by herself. The others have left. when she hears her name, she knows who it is. And she also knows that he knows her. And here is broken-hearted Mary, crushed, weeping, transformed in a moment with just her name said by Jesus. Have you ever heard Jesus say your name? Could you, in your mind, just close your eyes for a moment? You know your name. Would you dare hear Jesus say your name to you? Maureen? Michael? Sarah? Kalen? Robert? hear him say your name and know that he knows you. And you know that he knows you down to the depths of your soul. He knows you. And the wonder of the love of Jesus, you can lift up your heads again now, is that he comes to each of us individually, personally, he knows who we are. Matthew's Gospel records that Jesus said this to Mary. Go and tell the disciples. So now she, a woman, is the first one to get the revelation of the living Jesus. None of the other apostolic band. Just her, Mary, by herself. Go tell the other disciples. And Peter... Why Peter? You know why Peter? The last time Peter saw Jesus alive, Jesus turned and looked at him, and he, Peter, had disowned Jesus three times across the space of that evening. Jesus had told him he would, Passionately, Peter said he would never do such a thing. And cowardly, he did. And as Jesus is led away, he turns and looks at Peter. And Peter weeps and sobs. Go tell the disciples and Peter, in the middle of this magnificent moment... Gold medal moment. Everything accomplished. Monolithic, world changing events. One man. Peter. Jesus focused on him. And several days later, the same thing happened. Jesus appeared to all the disciples. Now they're ecstatically saying, He is alive. He is alive. I mean, we've been saying it all morning. For them, it was spectacular because they knew he had been dead. And they'd heard the word and they counted it like an old wives' tale, says one translation. They couldn't believe it. And then he arrives and they all see him except one man again, Thomas. And Thomas said, unless I put my finger in the nail print, my hand in the side, I will not believe. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said anything like that? I will not believe. And they said, but we've seen him. We've all seen him. He was here. We were together. We saw, I will not believe. And about a week later, it's in the same chapter, John 20, Jesus suddenly appears in the room behind locked doors where the disciples are and Thomas is with them. Thomas sees Jesus walk over to him. He picks out Thomas. He goes right to Thomas. And he said, see my hands. Put your finger in the nail print. Put your hand in the side. What on earth do you think Thomas thought? Apart from the fact that Jesus was alive and he was looking at him, what else did he think? He knew what I said a week ago. He was there. He heard me say it. One man, of all the apostolic band who know, whoever else was in that room, he focused on one man. Can you imagine the greatness of a God who not only does world-changing, earth-shattering, eternity-renewing things for us? But comes to us one by one by one, calling us by name, maybe like the broken hearted Mary, like Peter, completely emotionally broken, disgusted with himself. Is that you this morning? With no future that you can see that's bright, you've blown it. However, you've blown it, is there any recovery? Is there any way back? And Jesus comes and he meets you. He knows who you are. And maybe you've expressed all kinds of doubt and skepticism. Skepticism is the spirit of our age. We're skeptical of one another. Some of you are skeptical of me. Some of you are skeptical of organized religion. All of you are skeptical of politicians. We're skeptical of the media. We are skeptics. Even these real live shows are phony. It's amazing to me that people watch them like it's a live show, like reality TV. How's come this camera's on an island with some people chasing each other around? In a reality moment, give me a break. (laughs) And people sit there wondering what's going to happen next week. It's already in the can. (laughs) But this is a real moment. Right now. This is real. Jesus is here. Let's talk to him. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, as we focus now on you, turn our eyes upon you, and you come to us and you say uh, our name, our names. You say our names. You say my name, John. In this moment, Lord Jesus, please take possession of us. We yield our lives to you. I yield my life to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are alive and that as I surrender to you and by faith entrust myself to you, you are alive in me. And I pass from death to life, from hell to heaven, from deep darkness to brilliant light. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me.